I'm Alex Mozed, and welcome to Winner Take All. I'm really excited to have special guests with us today. Mark Polymeropoulos, a uh, recently retired, I think 26 plus year CIA veteran. He was former senior intelligence officer in the CIA, uh, has, has recently published a book, a great book here called Clarity in Crisis, Leadership Lessons from the CIA. Mark, so great to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining. It's great to be here. You did a great job uh, pronouncing my last name. I always got to start with a funny story on that. I was in the Middle East you know, many years ago, and the, the, the president's briefers were going down to see George W. Bush, and they wanted my view on a situation. And I was pretty excited. You know, I was a young officer. I was a, you know, a manager at a CIA station. So I waited a couple hours, and they came back, and I said, how'd it go? And they said, hey, we're in the Oval. They spent the whole time trying to pronounce your last name. So, so you nailed it. You did better than <laughs> President Bush. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, well, thank you, Mark. It might be a little bit of a low bar, but much appreciated. Um, and, you know, I, I think you you mentioned, I mean, you're a very humble guy, but, you know, you were saying that, I mean, you don't have the same kind of tears in the CIA, but I guess, you know, kind of uh, uh, before your retirement, you were kind of the equivalent of like a four-star general in the CIA. Did I catch that right? So I retired in the senior intelligence service. And, you know, well, the, well it's, you know, we, the military loves to have kind of equivalent ranks. So I say this a lot, but I was, you know, I managed several thousand people before I, I retired. And, you know, I, I, was, I spent a long time there, 26 years. So, uh, you know, I really grew up in the place. It's, it's frankly the only job I ever had, which makes me, you know, uniquely unqualified to go into the private sector. So I wrote a book, you know, uh, but no, but ultimately it was, a, it was a wonderful career. And, um, you know, I uh, did a lot of, did a lot of great things along the way. Awesome. And, you know, we, we've got a big techie audience, lots of entrepreneurs watching the show and the subheader on the book here is leadership lessons. Right. And, you know, I, I felt like there was some, some mappings, right. You were, there's definitely some mappings between what you were talking about, you know, about like, you know, hitting rock bottom or, you know, kind of what, what you have to do to really kind of like become a leader or, or grow people that I saw parallels with kind of the, <laughs> the trials and tribulations of, of, of tech entrepreneurs. Is that how you were envisioning it when you were writing the book and kind of thinking about these leadership lessons and what are some of those key criteria on that journey? I think, it, you know, you always wonder when you write a book on leadership, you know, who is it going to appeal to? And, and someone gave me some some good advice one time. They said, look, it, it's got to be um, to the entrepreneur, to the librarian. So you try to make it appeal to everybody. But but I, this, I'm really excited to be talking to you today because I think really the entrepreneur class is something that that this book will appeal to because um, so much of, of what we do in the CIA is deal with ambiguity and deal with times of uncertainty. And, and, and it's about risk taking and manage risk and how you build teams to get there. And so I think there are enormous parallels uh, on this. And then, and then, you know, we can talk maybe a little bit later also about technology too, because that's the one thing that, that the CIA has to main, remain relevant in the years to come. And that's, that's how we not only embrace, but also defeat, you know, technical means uh, that, that other services, other counterintelligence services are using to track our officers. So um, I, I think this is, it's a, it's, you know, the entrepreneur uh, audience that you have is, uh, is, is spot on to, to really enjoy this book. So yeah, let's drill into that, you know, clarity and crisis. How do you, how do you achieve such a thing? I mean, I know you got to read the book, but um, you know, <laughs> what, what is, what does that mean to have clarity and crisis and, and, and what do you think some of the, this key building blocks to be able to, you know, have that uh, um, characteristic? Sure. So, so I wrote the book at the end of my career when I actually found that I found that clarity. You know, I, I became a great leader. Unfortunately, you know, before retirement, I think that happens so often. And I look back in earlier times of my career, and I, you know, you kind of grimace. Maybe you read something that you wrote, or you think about a situation. But 
I became a really good leader at the end. And I sat back and I thought, you know, why did this happen? Particularly when, you know, I live in a world of gray. And, and so what I did is I came up with some principles that, that, you know, that kind of I started to understand because at the end of my career, there would be times of crisis, times of ambiguity. And I, I found it, that was my happy place. I was comfortable there. It's, it's kind of an odd thing to say. So, you know, when people want to flee, I'm actually in a position where, hey, we're okay. Um, and and then, then I started thinking about, you know, how I got to that, that position. So I came up with these, with these nine principles. And it's, it's all about sitting, you know, in positions when, when there's adversity, there's a lack of situational awareness. You know, I, I call it living in the gray. And you're just okay with it. You're like, I'm good right here. And boy, nothing can define an entrepreneur more than more than the ability or, or a successful one, the ability to to manage that. So, yeah, maybe now we can talk about, you know, a, a couple of the principles. Yeah. And 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 maybe maybe an example story here, like yeah. for, for me, for example, when I didn't know how we were going to make payroll, not just two weeks, not just a week, literally maybe four hours out. And I right. and my hands started to shake and I can, you know, you have heart palpitations. Right. You know, and then kind of like everything that happens after that, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, not phased by it, right? Um, were there what what was what was maybe one of those like real harrowing moments for you that then everything that came after was like, yeah, you guys don't even know. So one of the principles I talk about, and and it's you know, and in each one of the principles, it's a catchy phrase because that's just what you do. But I called it winning an Oscar, and let me let me tell you why. Um, because I, I always, I always say there's no day off as a leader because your eye, all eyes are on you. And, and I joke that, you know, if you need a friend, get a dog. Um, uh, and so let me give you some examples of this because it's really important because and when times are tough, when you have to meet that payroll, like you're, maybe you have three or four employees and they're looking at you like, all right, boss, what are we going to do? You don't want to be shaken right there. Um, so I'll give you a perfect example. And it's actually, there's some, there's some funny ones. So, um, there's one funny one, one serious one. The funny one was, you know, I was I was a leader of one of our paramilitary bases along the Pak Afghan, the Pakistan Afghanistan border, about a decade ago, and I had the kind of the the baddest crew around. These are these are folks, veterans of the Special Operations um, uh, uh, Command. You know, they've been in Tora Bora and they've been in Black Hawk Down in Somalia. And we go out in a patrol one time and we come back. And I've been out for thirty. I hadn't slept for thirty six hours. I was hungry. And for the first time in several months, I sat by myself, literally in the mess hall. You know, it's, it's you know, a lot of camaraderie. I was tired. I sat by myself and just wanted to eat by myself. And these toughest dudes in the planet, it was like, you know, like, like I stole their toys. Like, like you know, Christmas was or, or, or you know, a holiday was canceled. And they, and they were like, why is Mark mad at us? I was like, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, are you guys kidding me? I'm just tired. But I sat back and I reflected on it. And the bottom line is I failed in that. What I didn't do was tell them, hey, I'm tired right now. Like, I, I got to take a knee. I'm fine. You know, but, but I'm gonna go be by myself right now, and so I, I love that story because it just shows how you kind of you know as, uh, as a leader uh, how you need to be kind of your your forward facing um, uh, persona as a leader. And the other one was you know we were in a, I was in an embassy in the Middle East several years ago and was attacked by Al Qaeda. There was a terrifying moment. You know, there's there's grenades and there's you know there's small arms fire hitting the front of the embassy, and I I you know I have to we have to do you know we have these drills how to how to react to this. Everybody gets under the desk. They don some body armor. I'm trying to open the weapon safe to hand out weapons. My heart rate went from zero to hundred. I was flat out terrified. Like so much of this book, I talk about. You know, it's it's not. I'm not you know thumping my chest on anything. I was scared to death. But afterwards, when we did the after action report, and, and unfortunately everyone lived. But when we did the after action report, everybody said to me, "Mark, you know, you looked so calm there." And I was like, I, I didn't say it, but I was like, I wasn't calm. I was scared. I thought we were dead. 
but you kind of look back and reflect and just that persona you have in times of crisis you know is uh, is really important and you can also be honest you can actually say hey everyone we're going to be fine like like hey i'm scared too but yeah just get get on the desk put your body armor on or or you could say just the example you gave before hey this is a little kind of crunch time or you know we're, we're cutting a little close on payroll aren't we and smile but it's just the the way your 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 persona how you're how you're seen is really important. So I love that that principle in terms of winning an Oscar because I think it's really important when you when you deal with times of ambiguity and crisis. Yeah, I love that. You know, you're a leader. People watch you. They look up to you. You got to always be thinking about that and setting the right example. Um, e- even when you think that, uh, you know, maybe you don't have to, right? Uh, and 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 people notice. Also, as a leader, you got to be able to embrace change, right? And you. Um, got to be know you have to know when to you know to to pivot or to shift or do things differently or or say no right these kinds of things i guess does does that bring up any any bells or any connect any dots when you think about your illustrious career 20 plus years in the role of technology and you know and how you saw that changing you know how how you just had to do what you did so, so one of the things, one of my principles, I call uh, the, the process monkey. And, and, and so, you know, it, it sounds like this is kind of very, I don't know what's right, very rigid, but actually it's not. So, so what you do as a leader, you have to identify the core processes in your company, in your business, in your line of work that are absolutely, you know, that are absolutely essential that you cannot take short, shortcuts on. Um, uh, and these are your fundamentals. But then you also have to understand you have to innovate along the way, and 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 the, you know changing technology, especially in the espionage business, is a perfect example. So so one of the things I talk about is you know as a as an intelligence officer, my job is to spot assess, develop, recruit, and handle what we call an agent. That's a spy. As we do that, we go out and we have to meet them on the street. So we do something called a surveillance detection route. And so I tell us, and, and that's you know taking some turns, maybe putting on a disguise. I don't want anyone following me to identify who the spy is that I'm, I'm handling. So this is, this, is a, a, this is like a Navy SEAL, you know, uh, has to be able to shoot. A CIA officer has to know how to evade surveillance. And so there's ways to do this. And, and I tell a story about, you know, when I was in the Middle East and I was stuck in traffic, I had to go meet a really important agent. It was, a, it was like an eight hour surveillance detection route. And I knew I, was, I missed my time and stop. So it wasn't gonna happen. Now, nobody's with me, I'm alone. So this is all ethics and integrity on me. And, and, and what I had to do was I actually had to cancel. I aborted the meeting. I didn't go because I would not be able to do the fundamental things that would keep that agent alive. Okay, so that's, that's a really interesting story about a process. But we also have changing technology in the espionage business, which means what? Which means people can track our cell phones. Um, there are smart cities everywhere. Smart cities are, are, are really cool, sort of, but not for the intelligence officer who's like, you know what? There's facial recognition. Um, there's cameras everywhere. And so as I'm trying to, you know, to kind of disappear, there's people looking at me. So what do we do? We have to innovate. We have to always think ahead. So, and, 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 I, and I love, you know, there's, there's so many different examples. A car is a built-in GPS unit, right? There's a GPS in there. I can't now drive my car to meet an agent. So what did we do sometimes to innovate? Hey, we got a bicycle. You know, there's no engine on that. So, so I'm, I'm being serious. So you go kind of go back to the basics. So so you're always, you know, technology changes and, and for if, just like everything else in life, but particularly for entrepreneurs, same thing for the intelligence business, we have to adapt and innovate as well. So the process monkey means you have those fundamentals, but you always got to be innovating as well. One of the things we, we've, we've talked about a few times on the show is, you know, the role of kind of U.S. tech monopolies. Um, and then it's pretty much, it's not a U.S. tech monopoly, it's now pretty much a Chinese tech monopoly. 
And, you know, for example, in the US, we've seen, uh, you know, the 50 cent army, China's kind of like, I think it's, it's got to be over a million people that are, um, you know, writing comments and creating posts. And I'm sure Russia is also doing this too, because, you know, obviously in the book, you talk about, you know, Russia was kind of your, your main post, right? You were in the Middle East and then you went to Russia. But we've career, seen the yeah. 50 cent army influencing opinion. But we've also right. seen, I've seen reports about, um, you know, uh, um, like, like the Chinese, I don't know. I don't know what their secret service is even called, but um, maybe that's how you know it's like really secret. Uh, but uh, <laughs> like, like using LinkedIn to try and recruit agents. Oh, yeah. And so even what you were just talking about, kind of changing the dynamic of saying, hey, how do you even source these people? that could become a spy in the future. And just, it just seems like the, you know, the, there's so much change technologically and, 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 and I just, you know, I, I wouldn't even know where to start. I mean, it's not my world, your world, but it just seems like there's so much going on in developed countries and then emerging countries. And how you even make sense of that? Yeah. So, I mean, and, and that's where, you know, intelligence services have to always innovate. You know, I, I wrote a piece, uh, you know, right before the new CIA director, Bill Burns was confirmed. And it was, it was an open letter to him. And actually, it turns out he read it and then he called me to talk about it. But, but there was, I, had, I had several different, different you know, recommendations for him, but one of them was embracing technology, but also understanding that you know, there's a new world out there. And so you, know, I, I, the, the, you gave a, a great example about, about LinkedIn and the dangers of LinkedIn. Everybody uses LinkedIn, but so do hostile intelligence services. So the more you put on there, you know, the more someone who may be, you know, you know actually a, a Chinese intelligence officer is contacting you, you know, looking like he or she is, is, is you know, is, a, is, a, is in a company in Hong Kong asking you to do a market study, asking you to do some consulting, but it's the first step in kind of going down the road. And so, um, you know, we have, always have to be, you know, uh, you know, very aware of what our adversaries are doing. Of course, you know, I mean, I can't talk about it. We do those things, uh, you know, a, a, as well. And, and I tell you one thing, there's, you know, both from the United States perspective, but from uh, foreign intelligence services, there's nothing better than Facebook. There's nothing better than social media, because I don't know if you do. And I certainly make the mistake. I mean, I'm all over Twitter, but we put way too much information on there. I mean, you know, <laughs> Facebook is going to tell someone your story, your life story. As, as, as what we do as a CI officer, my job, if I wanted to recruit you, we would do something called a targeting study. That means I want to know what you like where you go at night, where you go during the day, all your friends, and I'm going to build a, a you know, I'm going to build a mechanism to approach you based on everything I know about you. Guess what you've done already? You, you've just handed that to me. Thank you. You know, and so, so that's where we are in 2021. There's a, and, and so, but, but we have to, you know, we have to embrace it in terms of, we have to utilize this, but we also have to understand that, you know, from a defensive capability, we got to be really smart too. So does that mean your kids aren't on TikTok? <laughs> my daughter's on TikTok, I, but I've sat her down. I said, this is a, you know, the Chinese intelligence services are, are reading your stuff. She goes, dad, I'm 21. I don't care. And, you know, and, and, and she still sends me TikTok videos. Uh, well, that's, th see, that's it right there. That's right. you, 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 you can't let go of it. They, you, you know, that the, it's the monopolistic nature right. of it all. And, and we've seen now the U S tech monopolies, uh, Zuckerberg, especially kind of use it as a defense to say, hey, you know, if you try and bust us up, you're actually going to be hurting U.S. influence abroad. Yeah. And, and at the same time, we've seen and we've talked about this on the show, too. Some U.S. tech monopolies have have a reticence to work with 
U.S. government, U.S. Department of Defense, which we have, you know, very, very blatantly said that's completely inappropriate. I don't know if any of that resonates like because you're you're you know, it's if it's not if it's U.S. and Russia, I mean, and China, we've talked about like Southeast Asia and all these other markets. You know, it's kind of like a battle between the the U.S. tech monopolies and the Chinese tech monopolies. Um, and I, I do agree with Zuckerberg to some degree that these tech companies absolutely do help, uh, uh, you know, project influence over these other territories, which I'm sure you saw, you know, some of that stuff in, in the Middle East and in Russia and all these kinds of things. It brings up a really interesting kind of case study on, on what happened in 2016. And, 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 and so, you know, ultimately, the Russians really exploited our use of social media uh, to influence the U.S. elections. But if you take a look at some of the indictments from from Robert Mueller, um, you know, there were there was there was a several Russians who were indicted. They had traveled to the United States um, and they had used Facebook and other other you know forums in which to influence uh, the American electorate. So, for example, and, and the Russians were really good at this. So so Facebook would have their chat rooms or, or their forums in which they talk about really hot button issues which really riled up the American public. So whether it's the Black Lives Matter movement or Second Amendment stuff, um, or it just goes on and on and on. And all of this was fake. You know, so it was a it was a fake Russian persona starting this. And of course, then kind of it feeds into this cycle in, in the United States. Um, and that's really hard to, to battle. And so, you know, I think that obviously, you know, we're, we're you know, free and democratic society. So there's a great struggle, you know, in terms of how you regulate this uh, or or not. But I also think there's an awareness um, that, you know, it is 2021 and, you know, it, it's, it's very hard to, to kind of regulate things like TikTok or, or, or Facebook. Ultimately, um, I, I will say, though, for as an intelligence officer. So I think the FBI probably has a different view of Facebook than the CIA does. Again, we love this stuff for targeting. I want a terrorist in the Middle East to have a Facebook profile. That's awesome because then he's you know what he's going to do. His wife is going to have a profile, too, meaning she's going to she's going to post pictures of her house. In Yemen, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm joking, sort of, when I say this. Um, but you know, we really can use this to our advantage too. So I, I think that that you know, probably the FBI for kind of internal uh, issues here in the United States has a different view. But I, I love this stuff when I was in in government service. I will tell you that I guarantee the the Chinese Secret Service, which I still don't know their name, MSS. It's the Ministry of State Security, MSS. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> they have a name, so that that's kind of not as cool anymore. But um. So I guarantee they've got back doors and I think it's been pretty well documented into all these Chinese tech monopoly companies, platform companies, which right. is different. And, and, you know, I think probably very good that we, the, the U S tech monopolies don't just, you know, uh, backdoor all the government agencies in, into these private businesses, but um, it is very different, and we've covered it on the show. Um, you know, a myriad of examples about the the MSS and the um, tech monopolies. Uh, uh, there really isn't much of a barrier in terms of that sharing of information. Um, right. I guess how is that relevant to you know to you know to this conversation and to the book? Um, you know, I think is. Also, mapping back to, you know, some of what you've talked about more recently as it relates to if we broaden the scope of what we're talking about with technology, not just social media and not just, you know, uh, software companies. But, you know, what was also very unfortunate to read more about and learn more about um, and, and what ultimately helped prompt or accelerate your retirement from the service 
Could you tell us more about that? Because that's also right smack dab sure. in this kind of technological bucket, just a different form of it. Yeah, and I mean, this is you know, this is certainly part of my journey. You know, there was, uh, you know, I never thought that this is how you know. I actually never thought I'd be talking today to you or to any other you know any of podcasts or members of the media. I'm on TV a lot, so you know, I was someone who lived in the shadows for 26 years. So you know, my life journey has certainly taken a different stand. But but ultimately, you know, in, in December of 2017, I made a trip to Moscow. Um, at the time, I was the head of uh, clandestine operations uh, over Europe and Eurasia. So it was a huge, you know, vast territory. But I went there um, to see our embassy, to see our, our, there was an ambassador there, John Huntsman, who was kind of a legendary figure uh, in foreign policy circles, and also to meet with Russian officials. We, you know, the U.S. and Russia had a very tense and has a very tense relationship, but we still meet in the intelligence services do. And what happened was, you know, on the second or third night of the trip at a five-star hotel, you know, I woke to this, you know, incredible case of, of vertigo. Um, I had tinnitus ringing in my ears. Uh, you know, I couldn't get up. I had a splitting headache. And, you know, it turns out that, that you know, both, you know, I, I believe it. And so, you know, my doctors do as well that, that I was subject to, you know, what likely was a directed energy weapon, very similar to what had happened to, you know, 30 or 40 U.S. officials in Havana, Cuba in 2016. And, and unfortunately, that really derailed my career because, you know, and, I, and to this day, I still have these headaches. And so I had to retire in, uh, in July of 2019. You know, at 50, I could retire, but certainly far short of, of you know, what I, what I, I had planned. And, and, you know, it, there, there's a, a certain, you know, an aura and a mystery around this. These directed energy attacks are still ongoing now. Um, you know, there's press, recent press reports that over 130 American officials have been subject to this. So this is a huge issue for the foreign policy community, for the intelligence community. It's affecting our, you know, our military officers, our diplomats and our intelligence officers overseas. Uh, and, and boy, when you talk about technology, I mean, you know, at, at some point we're going to find out exactly what is happening. Uh, but this is one of those kind of unique mysteries, um, eventually it'll be solved, but, uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's something that's, you know, a lot of people are, are, are getting harmed right now. So it's pretty serious. Yeah. It's very sad to hear. I was, <clears throat> you know, also reading that it, you know, happening abroad. It could also be happening in the United States. Right. And so, you know, there's been a couple of cases, alleged cases, you know, uh, involving National Security Council, um, uh, you know, personnel in, in Washington. You know, so look, I, you know, I've been out of government. I don't have access to the classified information. I do know, having talked to, you know, a lot of people who, who know these individuals, that the symptoms are very similar to what I, myself and others have experienced. You know, the, the only, the, what, I, what I say about this, I, I put this whole issue into two bins. You know, the first bin is is access to healthcare, and and one thing that you know there, this is a, this will be a story that will go down in history is is just like Agent Orange in Vietnam, just like Gulf War Syndrome after 1990. This is kind of gross government incompetence in taking care of our uh, of, of our people, and so so they didn't do that for our folks in Havana. They didn't do it for me until I kind of pitched a bit of a fit in the public. Um, things are much better now, I, I must say. So that's the first bin, and the second bin is the technology pieces. What is this? You know, what does this weapon look like? And you know, I think we're getting closer to finding out. Um, you know, we know that the Russians and others have had such directed energy weapons in the past. Uh, American companies have this. There's a company I know very well that that is selling this uh, this system to the U.S. government to take down small drones. Um, you know, directed energy. You know, it, this is not a you know a, a a you know science fiction concept. It exists and it works. Um, uh, so that that's you know that, that's that's the, the kind of the two bins that I look at, the healthcare piece, but also, um, you know, account, uh, accountability and, and culpability, um, because this is something that's causing, causing a lot of consternation kind of in my old world. Um, you know, it's not only, it's not only uh, intelligence officers, diplomats, they're family members. You know, there's young kids who are getting injured by this. So it's, a, it's pretty sad. Very sad. 
Um, and great to hear that the, that, you know, the health, I know the healthcare stuff, you know, has, has been a contentious point. Um, you wouldn't think it would be, but, you know, glad to hear there's, um, you know, more progress being made on that front and taking care of, you know, people that have served the country. Um, so that's great to hear. But, you know, I, w- I was, I was reading this and, and, and digging into your book and, and just reading more about your career. And I, I, and I, like you, you know, you were saying, "Hey, dating back to like 2014, or maybe earlier, but I know you at least the date 2014." You were saying, "Hey, you know, the 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 Russians are kind of taking off the gloves; they're becoming a lot more aggressive, right?" Um, and it and it seemed like kind of like a a gentleman's agreement between you know the different secret service agencies was that um, there's no uh, there's no killing. Right. right. It, you know, you're doing spying operations, but if if you're going to actually end someone's life, that that's a that's kind of like a whole special other situation like that. That that really doesn't happen. I, I felt like that was kind of news to me. You know, you watch James Bond and you watch uh, Jack Ryan. Um, but, you know, that's that's not actually what's happening. Right. It, it's not licensed to kill. Um, that's not the, 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 the standard operating procedure. No, you're, you're hundred percent right. And so, so there was this gentleman's agreement over the years, particularly with, you know, when, when, you know, Russia was the Soviet union. Um, and so, so, you know, intelligence officers were, you know, are doing harm to each other really was off limits. Now, of course, our terrorist adversaries would certainly try to kill CIA officers all the time, but we're talking about kind of state actors where it's us and the Russians or us and the Chinese. Um, but I think something's changed. It's, it's you know, uh, you know, and and you know, I, I attribute, frankly, all of it to Russian President Vladimir Putin because ultimately, this is an, an individual, you know, on the world stage has violated so many of these norms. And so, whether you know, uh, uh, you know, he's interfering in elections all over Europe and the United States, trying to kill, you know, his own dissidents, trying to kill us, using a chemical weapon, you know, a, a former Russian intel officer who had who had resettled in uh, in England several years ago, Sergei Skripal. Um, you know, there, there, and, and of course, the Russian activities in Syria, the Russian Air Force committing, you know, atrocious war crimes, killing civilians in Syria. And so, so I think the Russians have, have certainly taken the gloves off. And so the United States has to really take a different view of this because whatever we've been doing to try to, to thwart this and stop this really hasn't worked. You know, and, and you know, kind of getting a little into, into, into your world and your listeners' world as well is, is all about kind of the cyber attacks and, and the ransomware. And it's really interesting because if you think about our, our, um, competition with the Soviet Union, this is, and or, or worry about this is all over, you know, nuclear annihilation. Well, we've actually moved now into the cyberspace where the Russians, and I don't care if you talk about the Russian intelligence services or a Russian hacker, you know, living in in Russia who is un, is under the protection ultimately of of the Russian government, but they have an ability to take down critical infrastructure, uh, uh, you know, targets in the United States. So whether it's Colonial Pipeline or the meat pack, you know, the the, the U.S.'s largest meat packer, you know, all of a sudden. Um, it, you know, these, these operations, which are incredibly cheap to run, can be amazingly damaging to the United States. So this kind of this new competition, it's not, it's not in the nuclear sphere anymore. It's in, it's in cyberspace. And, you know, this is something that I think that we, you know, the U.S. is really struggling to try to, you know, figure out how to deter this. You know, what we say is, look, we may not be in a kinetic war, but we are today in information warfare. Like right. no question about it. We are currently in, 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 
we are in a war. It's an information war. No, that it is for sure. Um, and, you know, it's, it's also, you know, a battle for hearts and minds as well. I mean, I think about, you know, and I talk a lot about this and I have over the last several days, you know, after after the summit in Geneva between President Biden and, and, and President Putin. So how do we deter the Russians? And one of the things that and, and I that I like and it was frankly was started under President Trump and it's, it's continued under President Biden is this is this concept of defend forward. And that has to do with what NSA and Cybercom are doing. And so it's it's been reported that, you know, one of the ways we are kind of hitting back on Russia is kind of an aggressive cyber campaign, offensive cyber campaign. And, and I think that when, you know, I think President Biden gave a list of 16 infrastructure targets during the summit um, that he gave it to Putin and saying, these are off limits for hackers or for any kind of cyber, you know, cyber warfare. And so, okay, so got it. But what happens when they do it? What are we going to do in response? And so I think, um, you know, this is this is something in terms of international relations that a lot of really kind of smart people, you know, deep thinkers are really struggling about. We had in 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 the in the age of nuclear annihilation, the idea of mutually assured destruction. Are we going to use that concept in terms of cyber now, in terms of you know going after each other's infrastructure targets? So you know, it's it's a new age. It's, you know, it's 2021, and I'll tell you one thing: if I was if I was you know someone in college right now, you know, I would I would get a degree, do something in terms of of cyber. Um, that is that is the future. There's no doubt about it. You know, you got to do it, right? Going back to the leadership thing, right? I mean, if if they're taking their gloves off, then we better take our gloves off and put on some brass knuckles. Yeah. Right. Otherwise, if we just keep doing what we're doing, and uh, then you know, it's, it, why would you expect any different result? You know right. what I mean? Yeah. And so you know, one of you know, one of one of my leadership principles I talk about in the book, I call it adversity is the PED to success, the performance enhancing drug to success. And ultimately, you know, I just talk about you know, you have to hit rock bottom first. You have to fail first um, uh, in order to succeed. Like that, that's your super fuel on how you grow. So this can be in the business world, it can be in the sports world, it can be in the intelligence world. But it's also okay. We've been you know, we've been hit here with all these cyber attacks. So we've learned for this. We we got our taste of adversity. I mean, three weeks ago, you couldn't get gas anywhere in the East Coast. It was insane. I live in Northern Virginia. I live in Vienna, Virginia. We had no gas. I had to go pick up my kid from college. I couldn't go. And so if we don't learn from that kind of adversity, um, you know, boy, you know, we're, uh, uh, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of fooling ourselves. And there's so many examples in the, you know, in, in my, in my kind of my world, um, in the sports world, but hey, I, I, you know, the, the easiest thing I talk about all the time is Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. Right. So, uh, you know, he clearly did okay. Um, but he didn't quit. And he learned from from that kind of adversity. Yeah. And, you know, I think that note of optimism, also something that that I reflect a lot on a lot about on the show is that people are waking up. Right. People are kind of recognizing what's going on, whether it's, you know, big tech overstepping a lot of boundaries um, and that needing to be reined in or whether it's, you know, I think kind of popping the bubble on like being buddy buddy with communist dictatorship countries right it's, it's like yeah you know don't really know if you can trust them not really work it out so well past uh you know certainly past few years and and right. you know i think we kind of hoped that things would turn out differently doesn't really seem like it is and i think people are waking up to that and you know what i see here in the book and and what we're talking about here is you know it's actually it's Russia and, right? It's like yeah. Russia and China, right? These attacks that you're talking about, these microwave attacks, like it's in Russia and it's happening in China. And you're seeing, I feel like you're seeing both of them kind of tag team this 
and are kind of becoming more and more buddy buddy, which is a pretty, uh, yeah, dreary outlook. So, you know, we have a word for this now. So, you know, of course, we, we spent 20 years fighting kind of the counterterrorism wars. Um, and, you know, one can debate whether that was, you know, it was necessary to, to do this for so long or not. But clearly after 9-11, we had to respond. But, but there's a new buzzword now in the kind of the national security circles, and we call it near-peer competition. And that means China-Russia. Um, and so, so, you know, we are not fighting, uh, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, this, this kind of, you know, guerrilla armies or, or terrorist armies in, in South Asia. Um, in Afghanistan, for example, but, you know, and so now we're kind of going back to kind of competitors who are pretty good. And so, you know, we have to, we have to up our game uh, on that as well. But the, the you know, and, and, and the near peer competition um, of, of 2021 and beyond is going to look radically different than that one we faced if we're in Yemen or Syria or, or Iraq or, or Afghanistan. And so, you know, we do have to adapt, adapt and, uh, and innovate and, and look there, you know, there, you see so much in the media now about, and there's significant worry about Chinese technical, you know, technical capabilities in the military sphere. Um, you know, you know, or and and if you take a look at kind of recent conflicts, um, you know, the, the use of drones. Uh, and this is not the drones that we have, you know, because the United States has done pretty damn well using drones uh, in our counterterrorism fight. But these are drones that that you know that the the Azerbaijan military bought from the Israelis. That they use really successfully in a conflict in you know with Armenia recently and, and you know maybe not a lot of people know what I'm talking about here but and then you know it, this this is really interesting and significant because the Azerbaijanis took out the entire Armenian kind of tank battalions in a day using drones and so you know everyone kind of sits back and says whoa um, you know and what does the U.S. military now look like you know it, you know are we able to to, uh, uh, to 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 defend against that so. Um, you know, technology and innovation is, is moving so quickly and, uh, and it's something that's, it's critical. You know, I, I was lucky to work in the CIA where, you know, and, and when you have these kind of classified special access programs, um, we were able to kind of, you know, you know, build certain things and employ them, um, on a very quick basis. But, but generally the U S is not, the U S military in particular is not very good on, on timelines, you know, to employ something might take five years where you really need five minutes. And so these are the things that everyone's thinking about now, kind of in the national security sphere when it comes to, you know, in, you know, how do we how we embrace technology in this near peer environment? I love that. Yeah. Near peer. Um, yeah. And it's spot on. And <clears throat> I'll I'll give you a little quote from my book. It's been, you know, and, and I'll, I'll, it's another James Bond reference in the film Skyfall. When Bond first meets Q, Bond's technology guru. Uh, Q jokes that he could do more damage on my laptop sitting in my pajamas before my first cup of Earl Grey than you can do in a year in the field. Oh, so why do you need me, Bond asks. Every now and then a trigger has to be pulled, Q says. Or not pulled. It's hard to know which in your pajamas. Love it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, um, he doesn't have, I guess, you know, the, the 2021 version is Bond actually doesn't have a license to kill. But anyway, outside of that little <laughs> detail... Um, you know, but I, but I think it is exactly to this point, right? Like that, the, the, when you're going after these near peer rivals, Russia and China and the role of technology and then the people in the field, right? I mean, all of that is, um, changing and needs to kind of be in a constant change right if it's not constantly changing then you're falling behind no that, that's a that's a hundred percent true and so you know it, 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 we better be really careful in not you know believing our own hype because we might be really good right now but our near-peer competitors are working you know maybe twice as hard 
Um, and I talk about that in the book. And I, I, one of the principles I talk about is humility is best served warm. But, you know, because really great leaders know, you know, you, you kind of you own your mistakes, you learn from them and you innovate um, and you don't scapegoat or deflect. And, uh, and and you definitely don't believe your uh, your own hype. I, I tell I tell a story in the book and, um, you know, and so I, w- I was involved in, in and I have to be careful on how I say this here, but it was an operational unit that was tracking terrorists. And and, you know, sometimes they would they would meet their demise. But sometimes we made mistakes. And in one case, there was what we call civcast, civilian casualties. And we had injured a civilian. That, that's really bad. And for all the things you hear about the U.S. government and civilian casualties, this is something that we take incredible precautions not to have happen. So what did, so, you know, what did I do? So I had to go up and talk to, to the leadership of CIA. And I, it, was, it was 40 people in a conference room. Not really the place I really wanted to be at that point. But I walked up there and I said, OK, this is what happened. These are the four things we've done to correct this. And by the way, this is all on me. It's my responsibility because they were asking me who was responsible. So it's on me. We've already made adjustments. Um, and I said, any questions? And there was silence. And I walked out and I, and I saw a senior officer and I said, you know, man, I'm screwed. I'm going to get fired here. He's like, no, actually, you're not because because you did exactly what you're supposed to do. You know, you own the problem. You fix the problem and you took responsibility and you moved on. So my bosses were happy. Then I get that back down to my unit. And they tell me, hey, Mark, what happened? I said, I got your back. But by the way, I knew someone who made the mistake. <laughs> and and but but I said and they you know so it was it, it it built incredible team loyalty that I also stood up for them. Um, so when I say humility is best served warm, boy, we better we better embrace that concept in such a near peer environment where you have to kind of innovate and change all the time. And 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 I and I love the kind of the expression "Don't believe your own hype" because boy, in, in my in, in my world of intelligence operations, you know, I did some great things and I also got you know my my face kicked in a lot. Um, and it's the old baseball adage of, you know, if you're batting 300, you're an all-star. That means, you'll, you, you know, you fail seven out of 10 times. Um, and so, so that, that humility concept is something that I really learned over time, but is really important when you talk leadership. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's so true, right? Hey, you make a mistake, own it. Yep. What's, the, what's the solution, right? Don't pass blame, you know, don't deflect it. Just own it and let's move right. on. How do we fix it and keep moving, right? Um, yeah, com- couldn't agree more last thoughts here mark i mean um maybe uh, anything on the book kind of that you want to highlight that we didn't cover anything that you think uh the american public doesn't understand or should understand you know about what the cia does that maybe they don't understand parting thoughts no that's that's a wonderful question and a great way to kind of conclude this because i wrote the book also because i wanted to explain to the, the american people and really to the world you know, uh, you know what a what a indispensable institution the CIA is. You know, for for national security, and it's made up of you know men and women who really do work in the sh- in, the, in the shadows. You know, you know our successes, you know, are never celebrated, and our failures are kind of trumpeted all over the planet. Um, but these are really dedicated men and women who kind of stand on the ramparts, you know, protecting protecting the U.S. So I wanted to kind of tell their story, and these are you know these are these are normal people. You know, I live in Northern Virginia, so actually there's a lot of my neighbors work there too. So it's it's, it's a pretty funny area. Um, uh, to live in, but you know, you know, they they go to they go to Giant, they go to Safeway, they go to Walgreens, you know, they go to the fruit stand. They're 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 normal you know men and women, but I, in my view, they're heroes because they also you know go overseas for great parts of their career and put their lives on the line. So you know, Americans can Americans can can, can sleep safely at night. So I wanted to tell that story and, and kind of and and put that out there, and you don't hear a lot about that um uh, uh these days but it was uh you know i i always believed that the cia had a soul you know it, there was there's it's a it's an incredible place um made up of really amazing individuals and 
Uh, and so I wanted to talk about it and, and celebrate it. And that's, you'll, you'll get a lot out, out of that in the book too. Book is here. Uh, Clarity in Crisis, Leadership Lessons from the CIA. That's Mark Polymeropoulos. There you go. I, I think a second time. Uh, Mark, so great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Um, wish you all the best with the book. Great read. And, uh, and thanks again for coming on. Thanks so much.